Well, Mother's Day. I, I just have a little note before I start here. And that is that uh, this message, I'm not going to be easy on mothers and daughters today. But I want you to know that um, the men are going to get just a thorough of a message and just a point, as, as pointed a message on Father's Day. So don't worry. And, uh, and I'm not going to have time to say after every statement, um, and this applies to you fathers and sons too, okay? So you're just going to have to add that into your head as, as I go along. And uh, so the other thing I want you to know is just if you hear something that kind of shakes your paradigm of thinking, because I might share some things today that you've maybe never heard before, but if, if it kind of shakes your way of thinking, just hang in there. Just hang in there and listen to the whole message, okay? All right? Now, that song, that song I just sang, uh, which is just as true today as it was when I was 20 years old for my wife, but uh, that song describes two things. Beauty that is subjective, meaning in the eye of the beholder, well, I think this is beautiful, well, I don't, Uh, but it also describes a beauty that is objective, that is, this is beautiful for all times, all places, and all people. Some people don't believe that beauty can be objective, and they'll have philosophical arguments about it. In a town like this, where uh, we've got a bunch of artists, they will argue about this, for sure. But although there is subjective beauty, I, I, I acknowledge that, I, I see it, I, you know, I think the mountains are more beautiful than the ocean, and somebody on the coast is going to say the exact opposite of me. Now, I would also like to assert, though, that there is beauty that is objective, there are things that are beautiful and will always be beautiful. Like, I could say, humbleness is beautiful. And as always, and always will be beautiful. I believe the Bible, God's Word, points to what is truly beautiful. And we need to rediscover and become sensitive again to what beautiful is in God's eyes. For the sake of the mothers and daughters here, we need to hold up and praise what is truly beautiful. And today I want to lift up a beautiful and biblical view of mothers and daughters, of womanhood. But not just for the sake of the women in this room, but also for the fathers and sons in this room. Who by our actions, we can uphold true beauty. Or we can uphold a selfish, pleasure-seeking, destructive view of beauty that will tear down mothers and daughters instead of build them up. Now both... Boys and girls are inextricably intertwined with their mothers from birth. But as they grow older, both boys and their little girls are called out by their fathers. A father calls out his boy to become a man, but he also calls out his little girl to be a woman. I mean, how many grown women still struggle with hurts and wounds from a father that never told them that they were beautiful? Or because they were never loved or touched in an appropriate way by their fathers. So those women turn to find love in inappropriate ways. This message is for mothers and daughters. But fathers and sons, you need to listen and pay attention. Or else you're going to tear down the good. The good from the Lord that is meant for our mothers and daughters. Now, what I've implied about beauty here is that we've become desensitized and call things beautiful that may not be truly beautiful. And it's not hard to happen. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I lived for a short time in a little town called Coffeyville, Kansas. 
and the town didn't smell like coffee. In fact, uh, there was a Sherwin-Williams Sherwin paint factory. It was right next to the school, and we lived close to the school. And what spewed out of this factory was a lot of sulfur. And the smell of sulfur often smells like rotten eggs. And it was a stench. It was gross. When we first moved that town, it was disgusting. I couldn't stand it. And, but after a week or two, all of a sudden, I didn't smell it anymore. I had grown accustomed to it. My, my sense of smell had become desensitized to it. Then, after a year or so, when we would leave town, go visit family, and come back to old Coffeeville, Kansas, I would smell that rotten egg sulfur smell and say, ah, home again. I had actually come to love that smell because it was associated with my home. See, our senses can become distorted. And we can lose our sense of what is truly beautiful. So how do we find our way back? So how do we find our way back to what is true, what is truly beautiful? Well, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I don't know, folks, that last part of that line, you will find rest for your souls. It sounds awfully good in this busy, crazy society. In our society, there are many women who are struggling with womanhood, femininity, and trying to figure out how to be a wife and a mother in our complex society. And it isn't easy, folks. It's wearing them down, and they are tired. If there was one word I would use to de describe the women of Western society, it would be the word tired. Tired. Many women are standing at a crossroads with a difficult choice before them. And I want to say today to the mothers and daughters in this room, have you really looked for the ancient paths? Have you asked for the good way? Have you sought beyond what you were, you were told by the latest pop culture guru? Have you looked beyond what your 45-year-old professor who's barely lived a life told you from his secular humanist point of view? Have you ever tried walking in the ancient and good path? You know what? There might be rest for your feminine soul in those ancient paths. Mothers and daughters, let me just warn you about a few things before we take a look at these ancient paths. Well, let me just say this one statement first. And I'm just repeating Jesus when I say this. Find the life that Jesus wants you to find. Find the life that Jesus wants you to find. But know, know that you will have to lose the life the world wants you to have. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's true. And I pray my daughters will one day find a man like this, one who has lost his life for Jesus. He's dead to the world. But I also pray that my daughters will also know that this is true for them too, and not to operate their life from a basis of fear of what they will lose. Those fears come in forms of questions that plague the mind. What if people don't think I'm smart? What if people don't think I can accomplish things? What if they don't think I'm beautiful? What if... 
I can't find a godly husband. What if I get pregnant? What if I can't pursue my career in my 20s? What if... goes on and on. My first warning to you now is if you look at the ancient paths, it means losing your life for the sake of Jesus. Second warning is similar to what my uh, sociology teacher at the State University told me on the very first day of class. He stood real bold-faced in front of everybody, and he says, he said this to us, if some professor in one of your classes tells you he's teaching from an unbiased viewpoint, he or she is a liar. They are teaching from a, from a viewpoint and a worldview that taints everything that they say and teach. Don't buy the lie that they're not. And then he went on to tell us that he was a Marxist feminist. And he was going to be teaching from that viewpoint, from that worldview, for the remainder of the course. And I greatly appreciated his honesty and forthrightness because it helped me get through that class. I wouldn't have made it without knowing that. So let me be honest. Let me be honest with you about the biblical worldview that I'm teaching from this morning. I'm preaching from the Bible and looking at Proverbs 31, which has been like a guide for women and men about womanhood for hundreds of hundreds of years. But if you haven't noticed yet, the Bible was written during a time when everything was based on a patriarchal system, which has been part of all societies worldwide until the last 100 years. So basically for the past 6,000 years of recorded history, it's the way our society operated. But in the last 100 years, we've, we've gone off that course. But God knew this. He knew this when He revealed His Word and it was recorded. And though God is spirit, not flesh, and though to create and reflect His image, He had to make man and a woman, He chose to reveal Himself as a Father. So before looking at the ancient paths, you need to know that a biblical view assumed God the Father leads His household, the church. That God the Father sacrificially loves His bride and His children. That God the Father has His bride and His children submit and honor His leadership and desires them too. And in the same way, the Bible assumes that an earthly father leads his household. That an earthly father sacrificially loves his wife and children. And that in an earthly family, and for an earthly father, his wife and children submit to his leadership but don't confuse honor, submission, or femininity with timidity, mousiness, or emotional weakness. When you look and take an honest look at the ancient past, you will not see weak women, but sturdy women with strong conviction. And also know that the Bible has lifted up women in earlier times when women were degraded in societies ignorant of the Word of God. And I'll mention more of that later. But the biblical view also assumed that what was normative was that a woman would marry a husband and that if a woman was not married, it was either because she was a widow or because she had devoted her life to God. So, just a little side note on that. If you are a daughter of the king who is not married, I want you to know that you are not single. You are not single. You are not alone. I don't know where that word came from, single. But I hate it. You are not alone because you are a part of a biological family, and you also belong to the family of God. You know, for all of us, our biological families will cease when we get to heaven, and, give, and it'll give way to a larger family, the family of God. 
So people, love the church. Love the church. Meet with your larger family. You are not alone. You may not be married, but there is no such thing as single for the children of, of the king. There isn't. I'm, I'm really saddened by the description and terms sociologists have coined for a new group of women that are emerging in our society here in the States. They call them the new core. Women, and this is the way the sociologists describe them, women who have no one to love them, no one to care for them, and no one for them to care for either. Don't put that label on yourself if you are a Christ follower and belong to his family. In 1848, 18 years after the French Revolution, Alexis de Tocqueville studied American society and government to see why democracy in America led to liberty. Why did it lead to freedom, while democracy in France led to tyranny? So he studied things behind the good laws of our country, and he figured out there were some good people behind those laws. And one of the One of the things he notes in his writing is this. He says, if I were asked what the singular prosperity of this people ought to be attributed to, it would be the superiority of their women. Now, he didn't mean superiority as in a woman dominating, but as in the quality or character of a woman. That was 1848. I want you to know that the Bible holds a vision of womanhood that speaks to the character of of mothers and daughters that will bring prosperity to themselves, to their husbands and children, and to their society. And when I use the word prosperity, I just don't mean financial prosperity, right? So fine-tune that in your brain. I believe that the Bible holds a vision of womanhood that speaks to the character of mothers and daughters that will bring prosperity to themselves, to their husbands and children, and to their society. So don't let pettiness or the words of a short-sighted professor who only lived 40 years of life, of his exi- of existence, keep you from seeking the ancient paths that would benefit the welfare of you, your daughters, and possibly your descendants after you. Don't let feelings dictate decisions that could affect your family for the next 200 years. Our daughters need more than feelings to hang on to. Your beliefs and decisions about womanhood, fatherhood, and family need to be based on Scripture. I know a group of folks that their prayer for their families is that in the next 200 years, there will be no divorce. No divorce in their families for the next 200 years. I know the difference that would make. I grew up in a divorced home. I know the difference that would make for generations. Folks, we got to base our decisions, not on feelings, but on what the scripture says. So let's look at Proverbs 31, a place where I believe we can see beauty beauty of womanhood in an objective way. And what you see at the beginning is that this most popular writing about a woman is from a woman, but it's written to a man. King Lemuel's mother passed on this wisdom about womanhood to her son. And sometimes this has been used as a guide uh, for men looking for wives and as a guide for daughters growing into womanhood and the role of a wife. So, question is, is this described woman in, in Proverbs 31 a real woman? Maybe. But for sure, we know it's the kind of woman a mother would envision for her son. You know that for sure. We can know that for sure. So mothers and daughters, you can hear this loud and clear, but also fathers, you need to pay attention. This is a vision statement 
for the kind of life and atmosphere a father and husband need to create to nurture this kind of woman in his household. But all of you women here on Mother's Day, you can know this, that this is a woman's vision of a noble woman. This is a woman's vision of a noble woman. All right? From the ancient past. Here we go. Verses 10 and 11. Pick up the description of this woman. And declare the worth of the woman of noble character. She is far more valuable than rubies. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, in ancient civilization in Egypt and other societies where the earth religions were prominent, women were viewed as objects of sex. That's all they were. Thank you. And in the beginnings of the modern era, which weren't so modern, women were seen as property. In the Victorian age, which wasn't so long ago, women were seen as merely as ornaments. Do you know the biblical view has always been that women are equal in worth to men as image bearers of God and that their dignity comes from heaven? Do you know that has always been the biblical view? It took God, God is spirit, not flesh, but it took two genders to display his image to the world. Male and female, he created them. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. You know what? There's a trust between this husband and wife described in Proverbs 31. This man knows that this woman is his completer, just like Eve was the completer of Adam. There was something missing without her. But also notice here begins a focus that continues throughout the rest of this chapter that, that she has a concern for the gain of her household. It's interesting to me. Do the mothers and daughters in your household understand the value that they contribute to your household? Fathers and sons, do you know if you ran your home like a business, what kind of full-time salary you would have to pay the mother in your home? Someone just shared with me today, it was actually someone estimated it, and it was in a newspaper article. So it was $117,000 a year would be the average salary for a mom. A mother, if you're going to pay her for the work that she does. So guys, uh, and, and don't think that if you're running a business, you would like try to pay her hourly. It would be even worse. You go bankrupt with your business, okay? So stick with the salary. <laughs> Verse 12, she does him good. This woman's focus is on the welfare of others and the welfare of her husband. She is bent towards doing good. Verse 13, she willingly works with her hands. Fathers and sons, see to it that the mother and daughters of your home have all the materials that they need to do the work. It would be a frustration to them if they don't. Verse 14, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Okay, this is not she is a merchant ship. She's like one, okay? Although I know some of you mothers here, when you got the grocery cart and you're piling it on, it feels like you're moving a merchant ship through the grocery store, okay? But all this is saying is that, that this envisioned woman cares about the food that she sets on her table and that it's important. Verse 15, she also rises while it's still dark. This implies that she keeps a regular schedule. And even though she has hired help, she's not laying around. She's instead up and about so that her hired help are prepared to do the work for the, for the day. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. This woman, she understands business. She understands profit, real estate. And she's involved in profit-making enterprises focused on her home. We would say today that she's entrepreneurial. 
tell you what, are we, are, we, are we preparing our daughters to think this way for their homes? You know, colleges aren't. Colleges are parent, preparing them for a workplace somewhere, and then the woman gets in this terrible tug of war where she's going, I want to have kids. I want to have a family, but yet I want to contribute to my family, to my home. How do I do this? You know what? We need to help our daughters know about being entrepreneurs, starting cottage industries from the home so that they can use all their talents, their gifts, and their skills and still fulfill the desire to raise children. It's important. Are we preparing our daughters to think this way? Verse 17, she girds herself with strength. Oh, this woman isn't weak or helpless. She's strong. What are we doing to help our daughters become sturdy women of conviction, sturdy women of God? You know what God calls his daughters in our homes? He calls them pillars to adorn a palace. Psalm 144. You know what a pillar does? It's not just there for decoration. It supports the structure. It holds it up. The mothers and daughters hold up the structure of the family. And the family holds up the structure of a society in this country and other Western countries. But the daughters of God are not only strong, but they are adorned, fashioned, chiseled, and polished for a palace. They're strong, but they're beautiful. They haven't lost their femininity. Verse 18. She sees that her trading is profitable. Okay. This woman, she's not depressed. She sees what she does and is confident that her labor is good. She's not believing that her home-based life is not valuable. Mothers and daughters never believe that if you stay at home and give your life to building up that home, that that is not important. That is a lie. I know sometimes you're, you may be asked a question, what do you do? What do you do? And you're kind of going, what do I tell them? Do I tell them what I went to college for? Or do I tell them I'm a homemaker? Say it. Say it with pride. Say it like you know it is valuable. And that it is a contribution, not only to your family and your household, but to society and to the church. The world, and, and, and for young women and girls, maybe thought, you know what, all I want to do, all I want to do is be a wife and a mom. Don't let people... Make you feel stupid because you want that or desire that. Don't let them make you feel stupid because of that. The world may arrogantly roll its eyes, but know that the people of God value you and applaud you. There are some women who have dreamed of having what you have. You know what? My mother told me once that even though she went to college and went on to get her master's degree, all she actually dreamed or thought of being was a wife and a mother. But she wasn't able to realize her dream after the divorce from my father. And because she had to find a way to support my sister and I, she was neither a wife nor a mother. At least the kind of mother she desired to be. She bore not only a curse of the woman, but also the curse of man, a double curse. She not only knew the curse of pain, of the pain of childbearing, but she took on the man's curse of painful, struggling labor as a provider. Verse 19 and 20. This woman reaches out to the needy. She is not haughty, self-obsessed, she has compassion and cares for others. She doesn't look down her nose at those who have stumbled or fallen. She extends her hand. 
instead of pulling back and withdrawing it. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Verse 21 and 22. She is not afraid of snow. This woman, when trouble comes, she's seen to it that her family is well prepared. And not only that, but she has done her best to keep them well-dressed, well-clothed, and beautifully clothed, including herself. She takes care of her family and herself. Verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate. Her home is well, so the husband can leave his home in peace. He knows and trusts his wife. The verse is in context of this whole passage. It also implies that this woman has contributed to his respect among his peers. Verse 24, Again, we see that this woman does many things for her household, but one of them is producing cash from her time. She's smart. Verse 25, even though this woman dresses beautifully, that's not what people notice about her. They see the clothing of character, spiritual clothing covering this woman with strength and dignity. I believe that 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 defines this even more, saying that beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment, but beauty from the inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit. Why can this woman laugh at the days to come? Laugh at her wrinkles and her drooping body? Because she never trusted in physical beauty, but cultivated an inward beauty. Are we praising our daughters and mothers for their inward beauty? Fathers and sons, gaze. Look deep at the women in your house and see their inward beauty and praise them for it. This world is shouting an opposite message that tells them that outward beauty is all there is. Training them to think that they're just a piece of meat. And in that case, if that is the case, then they better be the best piece of meat out there. But outward beauty is fleeting. Women cultivate the inward beauty that does not disappear. It'll stay with you forever. Spend more time reflecting on the Lord and His Word instead of reflecting in the mirror. Verse 26 She opens her mouth with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. This woman is a godly mentor and a teacher of the next generation, a woman who guides younger women. We need more, more women like that in the church and throughout our society. Verse uh, 28, uh, verse 27, she watches the way of her household. The man has a role as leader in the household, but this woman is a keeper of her household. She's attentive to it. Verses 28 and 31 speaks of the reward that comes to this envisioned woman. She has the praise of her children and her husband. And note that where her husband carries out the business, his business at the city gate, where he is given respect, is also where her work is honored and respected. Fathers and sons, I hope at your workplace that the women of your household are not joked about, but they are praised and given honor and respect. So, that's Proverbs 31. A picture of a woman who walked in the ancient paths. So did one woman really embody all that? I don't know. But there was a mother who knew how to describe a woman of noble character. And if she didn't embody it, I'm sure she desired to. And I know this world and all that it demands on a woman can wear her out. So I encourage you, I encourage you to seek out everything you can about womanhood that is in the Bible and ask yourself, how is that to be lived out today? How are we supposed to live that out today? I also encourage you to look at the memoirs and writings of godly women of the past. I would encourage you to look at those who lived before the 1900s because our modern and postmodern views and solutions have not withstood the test of time. 
They're crumbling. We need to look elsewhere. Mothers and daughters, we need women with courageous faith. Women who aren't afraid to lose their lives for the sake of Christ so that they might find it. We need women who are glad to be women and not fear obedience to God. If the world loses godly femininity, we have lost a major representation of the image of God here on earth. We need you to represent and reflect the beauty of the Lord. Mothers and daughters, the kingdom of God has need of you. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Lord God, in this moment, I pray that you would please help us to see the ancient paths, to see your ways, how we're to walk in them, to know what biblical womanhood is, what biblical manhood is. God, just our world is so confusing. Our society is so many, so complex. And so many things have been thrown at us. We just need to figure things out. We need some answers from you, Lord. And Lord, today, I pray that you would raise up women with courage, women who want to follow you, Lord, not afraid to lose their life for your sake. Lord, I pray that you would raise up women that have a strong conviction. Lord, I know that uh, the question arises, how do we practice these things that are in your word? I just pray that you give the women I'm in here in this room wisdom. Give them discretion. Give them understanding. Father, I, I pray that today also that the men in this room, fathers and sons, Lord, that we would praise inward, true, real beauty, what you think is beautiful, Lord. And that we'd lift that up. Thank you for the mothers and the daughters in this room. God bless. God, just bless them all. In Jesus' name, amen.